Good morning, LCM. Today is September 3rd, 2023, and the clock is ticking in our ears for all of us, say all of us, to rise to our godly pursuit of imaging our King in all of his fullness and glory. This is the third message of our three-part series. During this series, we are discovering how much we all participate in the idolatry of emphasizing only the aspects of God's character that we like and not what we don't like. We are also discovering the solution to the problem, which is a lifelong pursuit of knowing him better. The key to this pursuit is being humble enough to crucify your image and bold enough to take on his. Both humility and boldness are required. Do you hear us on that? Both humility and boldness are required. And you cannot image God correctly or more fully if you have one without the other. Let's jump straight into our first slide together this morning, which you will remember which is the foundation for this entire teaching, what is a man? The biblical godly definition of a man is a man is to bear the full image of God in all of his complexity. That comes from, not exclusively, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So it could be a little scary in that translation. Your goal as a man is to portray the full image of God in all of his complexity. What a lofty goal that is, men. Yeah. Especially when you begin to read the word with the intention of knowing him better. Humbly correcting your previously idolatrous ways. Can I get an amen? Amen. And boldly pursuing all of the ways that he has revealed himself to you as through his word. What are the initial steps of becoming a man of God as defined by the word of God. Good question. Well, it all starts here on our next slide. What is a man? A man is empowered to say, no! no. Titus 2, picking up an 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say, no! To ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In addition to that, a man is empowered to say, yes. Titus 2, picking up in 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for what, church? Good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one, no one disregard you. A man as defined by God is a man who sets right boundaries by saying no. Where he said, where God has said no. Mm -hmm. These boundaries are clearly placed so that life is promoted and can flourish within those set boundaries. You always start with no in your own life. 
And then, and only then, can you move on to the lives of others. We want to make sure that you get that before we move on, because by this time, we know what's happened. You know this slide. You know that as a man, you're supposed to say no first, then you say yes. So I know, we know, what many of you did is you took that home, you tried to put it into practice, and what you came, came away with is, I need to learn how to tell my wife and my children no a lot better. That's actually not, was not what was taught two weeks ago. What was taught to us two weeks ago is the very first step is learning how to say no as a man of God in your own life first. You cannot just move past that step and move on to the others outside of yourself. Men, that creates chaos and a lack of shalom in your home. You want to create shalom and create the correct boundaries? You go first, men. You initiate and watch your wife and your children reciprocate. The no starts with yourself. And secondly, a man is defined by God as a man who becomes zealous for good works for the kingdom. This happens when you learn to say yes and pursue the will of God with reckless abandonment of all other pursuits in our lives. Yes. The men in society around us have lost the ability to say no to their own desires. And it is degrading this entire world. Look at society around us. Is that not true? It's true. Men of God are those who say no to what God has said no to and say yes to what he is. Men, when we begin to get this right in our own lives, the next stage of development becomes unlocked in new ways, starting in our families. What is a family? Well, the family is named by God and must bear the full image of God together. You'll remember Ephesians 3.14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Your family has a has both a great as well as an all awe-inspiring task ahead of you to image the entirety of the name of God all of his name in the family that you are building and man that task of initiation and manifestation it rests squarely on your shoulders and you should be feeling the weight of that by now every family in heaven and on earth is dependent on your accurate and ever-increasing zeal to put on Christ in all of his glory, in all of his complexity, so that the world may know who, is, who has sent you and to whom you belong. Your family is meant to be a unit and a more complete image of God than you could ever do on your own. Church, we are already approaching a close this morning. How long it takes us to get there, 
Well, that's yet to be determined. But it brings us to the topic and the title of our word this morning. What is a nation? Take a moment just to look behind Pastor Nick and I for a moment. What do you read? One life, one family, one nation. Now, we walked through that progression with you many times, so we will not belabor the point with you this morning. We only bring it up to say that man was always supposed to grow into a family who was always supposed to grow into a nation that affected all other nations. For this purpose, we can and must begin our text this morning in Genesis 12. The point at which the Lord was declaring to the godly man Abraham that his family would become a great nation. In fact, God's nation. Genesis 12, picking up in one, and say, what is a nation as you're turning there? It says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Church, don't get lost in the familiarity of this text in Genesis 12. God is prophesying to Abraham about his future and the way that he would take in order to attain the full image and blessing of Yahweh God. Abraham, as a man, together with this family, was called out of country, people, and even present household, and was set on a course to be made into a great nation. In the future, that godly nation would be called out of countries, peoples, and households. They would all be blessed in order to be a blessing to all those around them would all have a great name among the peoples, would all determine the blessing or curse of other peoples based on how those people treated and related to his godly nation, God's nation, and would all together be a blessing to the entire world. So like Pastor Peyton just mentioned, Genesis 12 is actually a prophecy to Father Abraham. It was a prophecy that was pointing forward in time. It was the beginning, the initiation point of the nation that God said, this is my nation. It wasn't until our next passage, though, when that very prophecy was truly birthed and began to manifest on the earth in very tangible ways that everybody could see. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 1. What is a nation? What is a nation? Oh, what is a nation, church? We want you to wrestle with that question as much as Pastor Peyton and I did. Yeah. Exodus 19.1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt... On the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. 
Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Man, it's very Peshat here, and you can see the manifestation of what was given to Abraham back in Genesis 12. God's nation of Israel was called right out of Egypt, out of a country, out of a people, out of households. They are now encamped in the Sinai Desert in front of the great Mount Sinai for the purpose of receiving God's blessing and his affirmation as his treasured possession. They were his treasured possession because they were the ones that received the Torah. God reminded them about what he had just done to Egypt in his judgment. That Egypt's curses were as a result of how Egypt treated God's nation Israel. Because Israel was to be to God a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You remember the plagues? You remember the Red Sea? All of that was as a result of how Egypt treated God's nation. God established Israel as a blessing to the entire world by giving to them his covenant through all of the words that he had commanded them, his Torah. In fact, they're still a blessing to you and me today. They continue to be a blessing because they are the bearers, the guardians, the protectors of the book that you hold in your lap. Now, we've already covered a lot of information from Genesis 12 and Exodus 19, but you're going to have to really engage with us this morning because we promise you, we labored over this word. There's not a detail that is unimportant. Not one word was not well-placed and prayed about. Are you connecting the dots with Genesis 12 and Exodus 19? Well, just to make sure, because we care that much, we have a slide for you. God establishes his nation. Abram in Genesis 12 was called out of countries. Abram and his family was called out of countries, people, and households. He was blessed in order to be a blessing. Determine the blessing or curse of the peoples around them based on how they treated God's nation. And was a blessing to the entire world. But at the inauguration of his nation, that is Israel in Exodus 19, Israel was called out of countries, people, and households. They were blessed as God's treasured possession because he gave them his word. And that was in order to be a blessing. They would determine the blessing or curse of the peoples around them based on how they treated God's nation because they, they were a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And they were to be a blessing to the entire world by their distinction. Say distinction. Distinction. Based on keeping the covenant of the word. Now, can you imagine being present for one of these great moments of revelation when the Lord is explicitly speaking about who his nation is and establishing them for all time? Oh, I wish that we could have all been there, Pastor Peyton. Yeah, me too, but we weren't. Fact-checked me. In fact, 
we are a bunch of uncircumcised, pork eating, crawfish eating, barbaric Gentiles. And we deserve to be separate from God Almighty, excluded from citizenship together with God's nation, and foreigners to all of his covenants and all of his promises without hope and without God. Yeah, if you don't believe that, just turn later on today to Ephesians 2 and just read that chapter. Yeah. But by the very blood of his son, Jesus... We who deserve to be far away, who once were very far, have now been brought near and become part of his chosen people. We just covered the incredible way that Adonai established a nation. Yeah. How awesome is the Lord that he made a way for us to be included? Yeah, come on. But there's even more than that. And it's about to get very clear for you. Listen to the words of Peter in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. Say amen. amen. But now you are the people of God. Hallelujah. Once... You had not received mercy. Say amen. But now you have received mercy. Hallelujah. Guys, once you and I could not. But now you can be a part of his chosen people. Once you and I could not. But now you can be a part of that royal priesthood. Once you and I could not. But now you can be a part of that holy nation who belongs to God Almighty. You remember back to a couple weeks ago, it was a bit of a hurdle for our own corrupted worldly minds to wrap around the definition of a man as it's defined by God. That's because we are compromised in our thinking from all of our previous worldly indoctrinations. Oh, say it again. It's because we are corrupted from all of our previously worldly indoctrinations. The secular definition of a man is constantly at war with the biblical definition of man as we learned it two Sundays ago. Do you guys remember that? The same is true about the definition of a family, though. Our corrupted minds and hearts desire to label a family as a group of people related to one another by descent or marriage, typically consisting of one or two parents and their children, and maybe a dog, shout out Baloo, but never, never a cat. Never a cat. But as you learned, this is not God's definition of a family. In the same way, we're willing to bet that your definition of a nation has also been corrupted in the same way that ours was until now. Next slide. Slide. What is a nation? A question that Pastor Nick and I desperately asked the Lord to answer for us, and he did. A nation is a chosen priesthood who belong to God and bear the full image of God's holy and royal character. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Is that a tremendous revelation for anybody in the room? That's because you and I have always thought of a nation as a relatively large group of people organized under a government of some kind with some kind of independence from other relatively large groups of the same kind. That's how we've defined the nation. Can you see how corrupted your own definitions can be? Just just by the indoctrination of the world that you've chosen to accept and espouse as truth without any regard for how the Word of God chooses to define these things. Yeah. God knew that his own nation would struggle with these worldly corruptions, but he gave them a very stern warning from the very beginning. Let's go there. Let's read his instruction together. It comes from the fourth chapter of Deuteronomy, starting at the beginning. Say, what is a nation as you're turning there? Picking up in verse 1, it says, Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws that I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession. Take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it. But keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Here the Lord encourages them about the result of living out the word instead of the world. And this is the result. You will live. You will go in. And you will take possessions. Are those three things that you want in your life? Then you have to obey his word. The stern warning in Deuteronomy 4 is do not add and do not subtract from the word that the Lord had given you. Can I say that there is a certain type of holy constancy that is God's character? He does not need an addition to his character, nor does he need a subtraction. The same is of his word, which is the written display and power of his character, the essence of who he is. There is a kind of stillness and confidence and immovability that is of his nature. That is why you must not add or subtract. But we've corrupted his image by adding to what he did not say and subtracting from what he actually said. Let's continue in verse 3. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. Whew. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. So why mention Baal of Peor here? What's the connection? Help us out. This is Numbers 25, if you guys remember. A recent example for God's nation of corruption within their number in the form of worldly indoctrination. That's right. The Lord's anger burned against these actions. This led to idolatry and ultimately death, not life, within his very nation. 
You know at this point what a nation is. It's a chosen priesthood who belong to God, who bear the full image of God's holy and royal character. And his nation has been under attack since the very beginning of our story, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You guys will remember the initiation point of all corruption within God's holy nation, at least the inception of it. It is the same as the initiation point of all corruption in the garden. The first words of the serpent. Did God really say? That's the initiation point of all corruption. It's also the beginning of destruction. This is how it started with these men of Israel who got mixed up with Baal of Peor. And where God's stern warning comes from. Stop asking, did God really say? And instead, at and instead, stop adding and subtracting from the word of God to suit your own desires and pleasures. Or even to suit your own perceived weaknesses. Wow. There's two different sides to that, can you see? Adding and subtracting for your desire, or adding and subtracting because you don't think that you can do it. Making this change today will steer you away from corruption, and it will put you far away from destruction. We're going to continue to put this on a razor's edge because it's going to change how you view your daily actions. So as you well know, the attack on God's nation and his scheme of corruption did not in any way stop at Baal of Peor. Into the first century or even into our present day and time. At this point in our sermon, we're going to take you through three cases of corruption. Three cases of corruption that infiltrated the nation of God and that can still be found within his holy nation even to this very day. Even this very moment. These are not merely a history lesson or a chance at real scholarship. These are warped and twisted view on God's nation that don't just apply to those outside. They most definitely apply to us and to you so we're going to take our first case of corruption. It's called docetism. It shows up in the first century. It's described as a group of heretics who date back to the apostolic times. They're teaching that Christ only seemed to be a man. To have been born, to have lived and suffered. Sought to destroy the meaning and purpose of doctrine. Docetism, so far as is known was always in accompaniment to Gnosticism. It arose from the principle of antagonism between matter and spirit, meaning they are opposed to each other. But let's take the big picture of this corruption. It says that Christ only seemed to be a man, but was not a man in the flesh at all. Now, many of you are probably reading that and saying, of course, I don't believe that. That's heresy. That is corruption. But can I tell you that subtle corruptions, they're like a wound. They're like a cancer. They begin to grow and fester and sometimes even manifest in similar but slightly different ways. This corruption shows up in God's chosen priesthood today in the lack of responsibility to be like him in all of his sufferings, in all of his character. 
So you read about docetism and you say, no, there is no antagonism between matter and spirit. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. I don't struggle with that. But 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, how's it manifesting in our midst today? Well, I know how to say the right thing, but there is a part of me that wants to view God as something a little bit greater. Maybe he didn't suffer just as I did. So therefore, I can obfuscate my responsibility to be like him because he was just so good. Do you see how deceptive docetism would have been? How it would have felt to the ears when someone was preaching that, yes, he is good. Man, he was the spirit of God. But you're not like him and you don't have to be like him because you never will. Man, if we just read our Bibles... If we just read what the foundational teachings of Scripture declared, you would read in 1 John 2, 5b through 6, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to be in him must walk as Jesus did. Let's take our second case of corruption. Are you guys interested? Yeah. Our second case is Montanism. This showed up in the second century for the first time. Montanism taught that the Holy Spirit had come, in the form of Montanus, a man, to purify the church in preparation for the soon return of Jesus Christ, like just in a matter of a few years. Montanus looked for the new Jerusalem to descend from heaven to a plain in Phrygia near Pepusa. The Montanus headquarters is Asia Minor. Shout out, Carlos. To better prepare for the coming kingdom, Many Montanists migrated to that very area. So here's the big picture for you. The Montanists had one supreme, unequaled leader who was beyond contestation. Wow. We don't have to connect the dots for you. I know you already get it. How much has that evolved into the norm after just a little less than two millennia, and it is now the norm that you see that has permeated the church of the living God throughout every nation. A singular ruler who is above all and above contestation. This corruption shows up in God's chosen priesthood today in our mentality of most believers, that there is one great man, Or a group of great men. And they're elevated above the rest. And everybody else can ever attain to that great man. But you have your Bibles in your hand. And you know what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 24 and 25 say. But God has combined the members of the body. And has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body. No division between priest and layman. No division between any section or extremity of the body. But that its parts should have equal concern for one another. Let's take our third case of corruption. This is Origenism in the third century. Origen theorized that all rational beings benefit from the redemption, stating, we think that the goodness of God 
through the mediation of Christ, will bring all creatures to one and the same end, resulting in universal restoration. Man, sounds good, right? Orogenism includes denying the eternal hell by a general rehabilitation of the damned, including, apparently, Satan. Boo. Boo. Well, let's give you the big picture of this. Yeah, it might be insane, Rob, but there are several best-selling books that I can think of right now that are exactly in line with this heresy, this corruption. So the big, big picture is that all created beings, including Satan, will ultimately be saved. And you say, that is ridiculous. Get out of here with that. But this corruption shows up in God's chosen priesthood today in a love wins mentality. And ultimately, being more merciful than God is. Now, there's a reason we're preaching this this morning. We're not preaching this to give you ammunition to point the finger. You're going to have to look at your own life and say, yes, this is heresy, but this subtle corruption has infiltrated my life and manifested in this way. As it pertains to origenism, you may not claim that as a teaching, but have you found yourself trying to be more merciful to God? Have you found yourself adopting a love wins mentality? It's all under the blood. Or here's the standard of God, but for you, I'm going to move the standard just a little bit further so you can be included. It's wrong. If we looked at the word of God with sober eyes, with the humility that says, I'm willing to crucify my image and be conformed to the word, then you would find yourself reflecting on 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 in light of these corruptions. Come on now. He says, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction everlasting. and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. It slightly pains us to take you through these corruptions and to wrestle with them. Yeah. But it's necessary to help you come to the realization of just how much you, as well as the holy priesthood of God, have been indulging in these unholy additions and subtractions to his word. The truth is, these are just three out of many. Yeah. The evidence of this is the range and the spectrum present in modern churches around the world today. There is a church for everyone. Because there is a church for all of the slanderous and idolatrous corruptions of God that man has tried to define him as. This has produced as many denominations, as many types of churches as you could possibly think of. Yeah. And the segmenting has not stopped. Transformation together with the body of Christ into his image, as it was always supposed to be, yeah. has turned into conforming into whatever you want to be. But conforming has indeed turned into just simply comfort. So knowing what you know now about the word's definition of a nation, 
Consider the idolatry of going out and choosing a church that fits you. This is actually idolatry in every sense of the word. That is putting your image and your comforts before his image and his requirements for his holy priesthood. This is essentially seeking a church based on you versus seeking church based on him and your command by him to be transformed into his image and into his likeness together with his holy nation of royal priests. This is all out warfare for the people of God. Subtle corruptions and worldly baggage have a way of creeping in or hiding in the shadows of our hearts and even in our number. But we want to be clear with you this morning. Whether you've been here for a day, a year, or a decade, if you are here among God's holy and royal priesthood, in order to flee from your previous country, your previous people, and even household, if you are here in order to be a blessing to those around you by giving them the actual truth and not what you have called truth, if you are here to learn how to humbly crucify your own image and boldly put on his, then welcome to your opportunity to be transformed into the holy image of God together with the chosen priesthood of God. We are all responsible for displaying the most accurate and most complex image of God that this world has ever seen. Church, our commission to image Adonai in all of his complexity is our divine privilege, and it is not without resistance. The world is at war with the image of God and will spare no tactics with us, whether subtle or overt, in order to mar his image in us, in you in your family, in all of us together as God's chosen. This means you are going to have to take seriously the temptation to add or to subtract to what God actually said. You must stand up in your design. You must fight for your family. You must prepare to suffer in order to preserve the word that he has given to us. We would do well to make a stone out of two passages. The first is Colossians 2, verses 2 through 3. The second is Colossians 2, verse 8. Write those down. Make stones out of those passages. Your purpose as part of the purpose of this body is to dwell within and display the full riches of complete understanding in who God is and who his son is. This will guard you against fine-sounding arguments. It'll guard you against hollow and deceptive philosophies. Ones that have long corrupted the church of God for many, many generations. You see, human tradition and the basic principles of the world must die in our midst, church. And the unity of the spirit that comes through the imaging of our king must reign both supreme and paramount in our midst. Yeah. Church, we're at a crossroads. Much in the same way that the church of Thyatira was at a crossroads in Revelation chapter 2. They had righteous deeds, love, faith, service, and perseverance, and were doing more than they had at first, much like you. And that was commendable. 
And yet God had against them their tolerant attitude. Can you say tolerant attitude? Their tolerant attitude towards deeply rooted, worldly indoctrinations that were allowed to remain and flourish within this church. Like them, the Lord is giving you time to repent. But if you are unwilling, you can expect for your own children not to survive past their generation in the kingdom of God. Say it one more time, Pastor. You can expect for your own children not to survive their pa- past their generation in the kingdom of God if you choose not to repent. But is this too harsh for you, church? Because it's exactly what God has said to his church. And it is exactly what many of you in this room today need to hear. Pride in what you think you know is always the greatest obstacle to what you must know and put into practice. But if you repent and refuse to hold on to that corruption, that indoctrination, and you hold on to what you have come into through the word of God without any addition or subtraction, then there is a glorious inheritance waiting for you and for your children and authority over the peoples of the earth, just like Revelation 2 says, ruling together with the nation of God and with the Son of God. So people of God, we have much work to do, don't we? Yeah. God desires to work into us what is pleasing to him so that we have his image to offer the rest of the world. That's the whole purpose of this. The structure of God's nation is clearly defined in many places throughout the word of God. But we, this morning, would like to give you a small sampling. Here's our next slide. What his nation is building. Point number one. We are called out of countries, peoples, and households, and into his chosen priesthood who belong to God and bear the full image of God's holy and his royal character. You can find this in 2 Corinthians 6.16. For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out of them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Somebody say amen. Amen. Point number two, what his nation is building, what you and I are building, we are his treasured possession. Blessed with all of his treasures of wisdom and knowledge so that we can be a blessing by imaging our king in all of his fullness. Listen to Colossians 2. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. That's what his nation is building. Now we want to show you what his nation is exporting, 
what you are taking to the peoples of the world. We determine the blessing or curse of the peoples around us based on how they treat God's body on earth, imaging our king in a more perfect way as a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and ambassadors of that kingdom. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 8. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Listen to verse 6. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Have you guys ever realized that? I mean, you might have thought about it a few times, but have you ever realized that how the world treats you determines the blessing or the curse that come from the hand of God? That's what God established in Genesis 12 with Abraham. That's what happened in Exodus 19 with Egypt and all the days after that. That is actually what happens like in a Matthew chapter 10 kind of chapter when you go and you preach the gospel and you extend God's shalom to that family, God's shalom to that city, and they refuse you. Jesus says, shake the dust off of your feet and go to the next town. It'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it'll be for them. Yeah, the level of responsibility of our ambassadorship and our realization of it has got to grow, church. I hope what Pastor Nick just shared with you sobers many of you. Because it's so easy to hear something so profound that was just spoken in your midst and say, oh yeah, I got it. Yeah, I, I, I got it. If I go to people and they don't accept me, then, then, you know, away with them. They're not accepting you. You are bearing the image of God Almighty. How important it is for you to dig into the word and get to know him to make sure that you are imaging him properly. If not, then you're just like a walking terrorist attack, claiming to be like God but not representing him well, and you bring condemnation and confusion everywhere that you go. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself this morning, but that terrifies me. Because I serve such an amazing God who is almighty and holy and set apart. And he called me to represent him. And I bear such a great name that it determines the course of other nations based on how they relate to me. I don't feel so confident in building myself up anymore. I actually feel humbled to the place I want to crucify whatever of me is still left. But let's take our second point on what we are exporting. We are a blessing to the entire world when we do this right. By our distinction, based on keeping the covenant of the word of God. John 17, picking up in 20. The prayer of our king. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you and in you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. 
that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved me, loved them even as you have loved me. What we are to export as God's chosen. That means that all other aspirations must yield to the building of the nation of God and the correct export to the peoples of the world. You hearing us this morning? It's for all of us as his nation, his bride, his body, to collectively image him together in all of his fullness. See, the ma a man who images the Lord is powerful. Yes. A family imaging the Lord is even more powerful and even more accurate. Yeah. But a chosen priesthood who images the Lord is meant to be the most complete image of him present today on the earth. So what is the first step in tackling such a monumental task? You know what to do, but what do we do now? What is a nation? I bet you didn't notice this at first. A nation is a chosen priesthood who belong to God and bear the full image of God's holy and royal character. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That. Oh, you see, the Word of God has already given us our first directive. The Word of God has already taught us where to start to begin to image Almighty God as a congregation, as His nation, as a group of holy priests, that you all may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Let's go. So, are you a part of His chosen? Are you a part of His royal priesthood? Are you a part of his holy nation? Are you a part of the people belonging to God? We need a better yes than that. We're going to go through this again. Because sometimes we can answer questions just to get in a flow of responding. I want you to ask yourself if you truly believe this today. Are you a part of his chosen? Are you a part of his royal priesthood? Are you a part of his holy nation? Yeah. Are you a part of the people belonging to God? Yeah. Then you are commanded and commissioned to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Yeah. Conceptually, you understand this. But practically, we must grow as a chosen priesthood in our application of it among our families, in our own number, and in our dealings with those outside our number. Our own history shows that our lives have been too much, too focused on us. And are severely deficient in pursuing him. Deficient in knowing him and working to be more like him in every single thing that we do. We've got two slides for you as we are still approaching a close. Still approaching a close. These slides cover passages of songs of praise. 
Say songs of praise. Songs of praise. These songs of praise are found in all six sections, all six parts of the Word of God. And they were sung by God's holy nation to God, but they were also proclaimed to all the peoples of the world. You guys ready? Yeah. The church as God's image, declaring his praises. In the Older Testament law in Exodus 15, you can see that he destroys his enemies. He is majestic in power. He is majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. He will cause the surrounding peoples to hear and tremble. He will reign forever and ever. These in Exodus 15 were declared as worship and songs of praise to God, but they were also declared to all of the peoples around yeah. as a testimony to who Adonai was. Let's look at the Old Testament prophets in 2 Samuel 22. He causes the earth to tremble and quake. He shakes the foundations of the heavens in his anger. He is a consuming fire. He thunders from heaven. He shoots arrows and scatters his enemies. He delightfully rescues his people from their enemies. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed and gives his kings great victories. That is who he is and what we are declaring to the other nations of the world. Older Testament writings, 1 Chronicles 16. He works wonders, miracles, and judgments. He remembers his covenant forever. He rebukes kings for the sake of his people. Yeah, he, does. he is great and most worthy of praise. Hallelujah. He is to be feared above all gods. Yeah. He is the definition of splendor and holiness. And he deserves praise from everlasting to everlasting. Let's look at the church as God's image declaring his praises, starting with the New Testament law. In Matthew 26, 30, there is actually quoting the Psalms from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, the great Hallel, as they ascend to Jerusalem. And it says he deserves praise from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. He raises the poor, lifts the needy, and seats them with princes. He gives them, gives the barren woman children. Oh, come on. Shout amen for that one. He gives the barren woman children. He causes seas to flee and mountains to be laid, made low. Man, I, I want to keep going in this list, but for those who are struggling in this room to have children, who he is is the God who says, you are barren, but I will make you like those who have homes full of children. You can't produce that in your own strength, but he can make it so because that is who he is. He is love and faithfulness. He does whatever pleases him. And he is the help and shield to those who trust in him. Let's move on to the Newer Testament prophets. Revelation 19. He is salvation, glory, and power. He has true and just judgments. He condemns the corrupt. He avenges the blood of his servants. Woo! He receives praise from all of his servants who fear him. 
He is God Almighty who reigns, and he will make his bride ready for his wedding with her. Let's look at the New Testament writings in Hebrews 2, picking up in 12. He is declared to his nation in his fullness. And he is worshipped with songs of praise in his congregation. Shout hallelujah. Oh, by now you're beginning to understand something. You're beginning to understand that the very, very vast majority of praise and worship that the Bible teaches us incredibly revolves around worshiping him. Wow. Oh, that's a revelation, church. Declaring his character. We're talking about 99% here. Proclaiming his greatness. And getting our eyes off of ourselves. Somebody say amen. Amen. Brass tacks is that we as his royal priesthood and his holy nation still focus way too much on ourselves. And way too little on him. We're called to be a nation who declares the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's the foundation of everything that we're exporting to the people that we live among today, the peoples we will be ambassadors to tomorrow. What we are declaring to the nations has nothing to do with we, but all about he, his greatness. His holiness, his magnificence, his wonder-working power, it's always and always will be about him. But what is your life declaring to the secular nations of the world? What is it proclaiming? Are the historical corruptions like the ones that we presented to you earlier in our message still living in tranquility inside your own heart? And then showing up in the way that you choose the image, the king of kings, had those corruptions marred the image of Christ in your life. After all of the words, teaching, and instruction, are you still thinking and displaying a lack of responsibility to be like him in all of his sufferings as well as all of his character? Church, it's time to engage. Yeah. If you're sleeping, it's time to engage. We're bringing this message to a close. The Holy Spirit is moving among our midst. You still exalting your pastors, your elders, even your brothers to the position of the great man? The one who is elevated above you. The one who can do things that you will just never be able to achieve. That's corruption over 2,000 years old. You might be on the other side of that corruption. Maybe you're exalting yourself to that position. You're the great one above other members of God's nation to the exclusion of others who have just as much honor and just as much importance as you do according to 1 Corinthians 12. Stay with us. Are you still couching a love wins mentality? 
that shows up as the corruption of God's standard in you and your wife or for your children or for your blood relatives or even close co-workers or past friends who are still a part of the secular nation that you were called out of? Are you trying to be more merciful than God toward those that clearly reside outside of the holy nation of God? This is a blatant corruption of his image. That's actually ancient, thousands of years old. It's a corruption of his image that affects the rest of his holy nation as well. It doesn't just affect you. As your export of his character often become faithless, Faithless to the point where it sounds like you're in a conversation with somebody and you're being his ambassador. They say, well, I just don't believe that. And your response sounds like, well, my God is like this in my life. This is my experience with him. This is how he's interacted with me when he is the king of kings who never changes. He is who he is. No matter what you think, no matter what they think, no matter what anybody else says. And it's your responsibility to declare his praises and his character, no matter what they are speaking with their mouths or what they believe, because it's their heart that is corrupted, and it's their heart that needs his character reinfused into their soul. Church, it's time to rise to your feet. The truth is, the clock is ticking for all of us. Some of you can hear it second by second. Others of you never realize that it's been going the whole time. But whether you've realized it in the past or whether you are beginning to realize it this week or maybe in this very moment, whether we're speaking about the state of Texas or any other state of a one association church. Or we're speaking about the people of the world. And especially if we're speaking about the people of Israel. All of creation continues to groan in anticipation of the sons of God to be revealed. Waiting in expectation. The key to our pursuit of his image it's for you to be humble enough to crucify your image and be bold enough to take on his. Both humility and boldness are required. You cannot have one without the other, church. So yes, this morning, repent for the corruption of his image in your own life. But more importantly... Today is the day and now is the time to vow to him that your life will be about pursuing 
and declaring the praises of him who has brought you into his marvelous light. The clock is ticking, church. Let's waste no time repenting. Waste no time in vowing to him that you want to be made in his image and declare. I'm going to pass this off to Pastor Nick as I waste no time running to this altar to ask that his image would be renewed in me. Father, we vow this morning, we vow this morning as your people, as your chosen priesthood, your holy priesthood, and your royal priests, mighty God, as this holy nation that you have established, we vow to declare the praises of you who have taken us out of darkness and into your glorious and wonderful light. Mighty God, we want to put our eyes on you. It fixes our selfish view. It fixes our the way that we have strayed. It fixes our selfishness in every way, mighty God. Father, we want to praise you like your word praises you. We want to put 99% of our vision, our speech upon you, mighty God. Help us, Lord, to put this on this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.